Welcome to Unstoppable Real Hospitality. Your host, Arjun Sela. In today's show, we're going to have a guest who is uh, involved with education. Uh, he's involved with uh, training and etc. etc. Uh, he represents a very important distributor, which is located in New Jersey. And his name is uh, Jerry Pesheria. Jerry, welcome to the show. Good morning. Uh, so how, how's your day so far? So far, wonderful. I just finished a couple hours of work on a computer, and now I'm doing this and then out on the road. Excellent, excellent. Can you give us a little uh, biography about yourself, uh, how you started in this business, and uh, where you are right now? Sure. I... Uh... I started working uh, for a retailer, a uh, clothing retailer, while I was in college and rose up through the ranks. And while I was rising, I realized I hated the job. And uh, one day I just quit and went to work for a small liquor store. Um, and uh, luckily, the owner was, uh, was a wonderful older lady. And uh, she allowed me to study on my own and to taste wine with the salespeople as they came in. Uh, and then I went to work for one of New Jersey's finest retailers at the time, uh, Carla Russo at Wine and Spirit World. Uh, and then from there, I went into uh, wine wholesale sales as a salesman out on the road for 10 years. Uh, and then I've been with Fedway Associates for 20 years. So along the way, I have uh, achieved the uh, Wine and Spirit Education Trust Higher Certificate. Uh, I didn't finish the diploma, shame, shame, um, <laughs> the level one of the guild of the sommelier, um, the W the, uh, society wine educators, certified wine educator, uh, certified spirit specialist, uh, sake specialist level one. Uh, so I've taken all the courses I could think of, uh, in order to learn more and more about wine as well as the reading I do continually about uh, what's going on in the world of wine. So that's, that's, that's my educational background. And what's um, your role in the company? So my role in the company is as director of education. We have uh, 200 salespeople and my job is to, uh, the position that I've considered is to be a sales-based education. So I'm not trying to take people who may or may not enjoy wine and teach them to be snobs or to be geeks. I'm trying to teach them how to appreciate the product that they sell and go out in the street and speak knowledgeably about it, even if it's not something that they would maybe consume at home okay. um, or consume at all time. I mean, we can't pretend everybody loves uh, wine, but the goal is for them to understand the language of wine. Um, and how to talk to their customers about the products that they, uh, they're going in to sell them. So that's one of my hats. The other hat is to go into restaurants and put into action those things that, uh, that I teach people, which is also to share with staff and management um, how to create wine programs, uh, to create more wine sales within the restaurant. So that includes wine dinners, uh, multiple week wine class trainings and, uh, and also individual, uh, one-time product trial, you know, product trainings. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a whole gamut of things that that uh, that it covers. Well, excellent, excellent. That's uh, that's so helpful enough for for you stuff and also for uh, the restaurant owners. Uh, I was gonna ask you a question. Uh, besides, you you did mention it. Uh, besides, uh, I call uh, you do uh, training for your employees. You also. Uh, It's a it's a luxury for especially for the new restaurant owners, the one they can they they can decide to open a restaurant. You also do a staff training for for them, and also you're doing a I call a, a wine list uh, designing. Can you explain to me how how how, how you uh, describe that the process? How you help the, the the new restaurant owners? Well, it's very interesting because when I f- fell in love with wine. I thought that all I would be doing is talking about wine. But when you go into a restaurant, and I, I probably open between 15 and 20 restaurants a year. So the process is the same, but the outcomes are always a little bit different. And that is to work with the owner to find out what it is, one, that they're trying to do with their restaurant. What is their vision for the restaurant? Mm-hmm. And, you know, are they going to be food-driven or beer-driven or cocktail-driven? And what place the wine list will have within the, the greater scope of the restaurant. The next part is to make the physical wine list attractive to the guests so that it becomes something that they want to interact with, um, which is something I never really thought about when I was just trying to sell wine. And that includes even the cover material or how it's presented to the guest, because it all speaks about what the restaurant tour visualizes as their guest and their position in the world of food and wine. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's really interesting because I work from everything from small little restaurants that uh, specialize in Cuban or Mexican food all the way up to Wine Spectator award-winning restaurants. And every time it's a challenge to make sure that the wines are representative of what the owner is trying to accomplish, both with the staff, the level of knowledge of the staff and where they want to take it, as well as reflecting the image of the restaurant itself. So it's a, uh, it's, I never thought I'd be running around with swatches to show people colors okay. and fabrics in order to make the wine list a much more tactile sensation that, uh, that hopefully people enjoy having in their hands while they're looking at it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just want to make it clear also for, especially for the new uh, restaurant owners, uh, your company is very uh, helpful. Uh, it's like a, uh, give them a little help uh, financially, basically. It's not, it's not that, you know, you're giving anything away, but when they, uh, they want to design a menu, uh, menu covers for, uh, for the wine list or uh, for their high called books, for the high called for, uh, For their menus, the food menus, you uh, you as a company also help them with a part of that, you know, financially. Uh, well, the thing is, we uh, you know, by state law, we're allowed to help provide anything that promotes the alcoholic beverages that we sell. Yes. Indeed. So 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 providing the customer with a with a book to present cocktail list or a wine list uh, is certainly within the purview of the law, but. More importantly, as to the trainings and things, it's it's really about, um, again, my technique is to pe- teach people a very basic and generic tasting skill where they can learn to uh, 
taste wine on their own and evaluate it by their own system. So I use heavily the, uh, the WSET's systematic approach to tasting mm-hmm. so that no matter who comes into the restaurant to train people on wine, that they're all speaking a similar language and that they all understand what each other is saying. Um, I find that this is valuable because once they have a basic grasp of the language of wine, the next most important thing is, again, not to make them wine snobs or geeks, but to show how the wine integrates itself into the food. So once they have a basic understanding of the structure of wine, the acid, the alcohol, the tannin, the, you know, the sweetness, then we can move on to how those things interact with food. Mm-hmm. And once we, they become more proficient at understanding aromatics, then we can start to build the bridges and the links to the food that's on the plate. Ultimately, a server that's successful selling wine in a restaurant is recommending wines based on what they know to be true. This wine and this food go well together. And most customers like that approach. So again, the goal here isn't to have them run around and talk about how much they know about wine. It's to say that this wine goes well with this food because of this reason, this reason, and this reason. And what that really does is, in some ways, it de-emphasizes the story that so many people tell me that they want to hear about whether the winemaker is left-handed or right-handed, male or female, you know, from an alien uh, planet or, or here. Uh, I, don't, I don't know sometimes how that should positively or negatively impact the wine. Mm-hmm. To me, the wine that sits in the glass tells you what it wants you to know and how it goes with the food is ultimately whether we've done a good job. So if the wines are priced correctly, mm-hmm. so we take into account entree pricing, if the wines are flavored, the flavor profile of the wines reflect what the chef is trying to do in the kitchen, then we've done our job. I mean, my, I think the best accolade I ever got was I had a restaurant opened up. They, it was a review written and they said that the wine list was very well chosen and very well priced, which is something you rarely read in a, you know, a review of restaurants, which is a bit of a shame because when they do restaurants, they, they rarely talk about the quality of the wine list or the drink list or the beer list. And as you know, we, we spend an awful lot of time investing money in, uh, in putting those things together and, and letting the customers enjoy them. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to have a couple of questions about the, the new trends, what's going on, not only with the wine, but also with spirits. Uh, what's the new trends going on right now? Well, uh, bourbon is still very hot, but tequila is making a large comeback. Um, it, we see it uh, being more popular both in mixed drinks, you know, in cocktails, and also as a beverage that's enjoyed straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are finally beginning to understand the difference between a plata or silver, a reposado and a nejo, and how each one is ideally consumed. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the, which, so that trend is also broken into pieces because not only do you have tequila, but mezcal has taken on a new layer of quality. Uh, Sotol is another new entry, not new, but a, a new gaining traction in the marketplace because of it's, its unique properties. So the all of the Mexican spirits have really seemed to, uh, the, the agave-based spirits 
have really seemed to have taken off. Uh, the other thing that's interesting to see is Rosé is still hot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm seeing a shift to people drinking in cans. I thought it was going to, I, I, the trend's obviously been around, mm-hmm. but for fast, casual restaurants, mm-hmm. um, I'm seeing where the possibilities are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a slow adoption for owners because they just, they think it runs contrary to what they think about wine, mm-hmm. but it's something the consumers, it's interesting to see if the consumers will embrace it or not. In some circumstances, they do. Like I said, fast, casual. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other circumstances, it'll never be, you know, you'll never find, probably never find it in a white tablecloth restaurant. Yes, yes, yes. Um, the other thing is in spirits. Uh, I think what's, what's happening is the rise of the, of the local is a, is a good sign. Cider is strong. Uh, cider's coming on pretty strong. Uh, and, uh, so it's, it's an exciting time to be in the spirit side. The wine side has been a little bit slow. It hasn't, we haven't had a new grape that, uh, people have, uh, been clamoring about like, uh, like, like we have, uh, when, uh, Malbec was really the last thing and Rosé's hot now. I, I'm betting on and trying to promote, uh, Petite Syrah as the next, okay. as the next red grape. Um, I think it's got a lot of characteristics that, People will really find uh, delicious, especially now that uh, they know how to tame the tannin a bit. Yes. Um, and I think it has a great opportunity to work with the, a lot of the bold foods mm-hmm. that people are cooking today. Wow. And another question. Uh, where do you see uh, the trends uh, it's, it's going in the future? Is a thing, uh, both wine and spirits. Yeah, well, I just got a heck of a nice boost. But what, what do you think? What's uh, what's something different that's coming up? You feel anything's coming different, or you know, I I can't I can't tell. I mean, I've been in the business thirty years, and I've watched the rise of the corporate winery, mm-hmm. and then I've watched the wine those corporate wineries sell off all of their winery assets and go back to their fundamental businesses, which are typically spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives rise to the independents that then sell off to the corporations and the cycle goes around again. Mm-hmm. So I think we're still in a cycle of corporate buy-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sometimes it's a mentality of, of people today, which is let me start a business in the hope that somebody will offer me a lot of money for it mm-hmm. without having the passion. That was, I want to be a winemaker um, or I want a winery. It's now more of this is a five-year creation. And if somebody takes it, offers me $100 million, I'm I'm out. Um, So as far as spirits are concerned, I think local is still going to grow for the next, you know, the next five years until the producers get crazy with prices. Because there's an absolute ceiling to what people are willing to pay for anything. And we're seeing it in California, um, California Cabernet. Uh, anything that says Napa or Sonoma on it is, is getting out of the price range of the average restaurant consumer. Yes. Um, and that, I think, is what's going to push people to looking to flavor profiles and other places mm-hmm. that uh, are going to give rise. But here's my real thing. 
the key to change is within the retail stores and the restaurants because they're the ones who can get it to the consumer. I have a thousand wines. We have 5,000 wines in our portfolio Mm -hmm. and from almost every country you can think of. But how do I get a delicious Turkish wine into a restaurant, an Italian restaurant or a continental restaurant or an American, you know, fusion restaurant? Mm -hmm. You know, it's how do I go from interpreting the quality of that to getting it into the mouth of that guest is the hardest part. And the trend in restaurant ownership is more corporate, which means that the selections are being done not on a local basis, but on a national basis. Mm-hmm. And in retail, when I came up in retail, there were, you know, being knowledgeable about wine and working with customers on the floor was very important. But markups were bigger and we made more money. So we could afford to have trained people on the floor. Whereas today people want the lowest price, but with that comes sort of being alone out in the marketplace to figure out what it is you like. So customers who have no, think they have a lot of choices are really only choosing between 50 different Pinot Noirs or 50 different Pinot Grigios, but they're never wandering over to that South of France section to see what, you know, to see what a, 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 a Roussillon would taste like or, or to see, you know, what a Cote de Bourg would taste like because there's no one there to say, if you like this kind of wine, you'll like this kind of wine. And that to me is the most frustrating part is, is trying to break out of the Cabernet, Chardonnay, Pinot Grigio mentality to there's a world of wines out there that we could, that we should be trying. But the key is the restaurants and the retailers. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you see your company, Fedway, in five, ten years? Well, I mean, I am a 20-year employee. I am uh, very proud that I, that I work for the company. Um, we, have, uh, we were the largest until two of our competitors merged to, to make themselves the largest. Um, but we are also the largest on-premise and I think that that's due to several things, mostly our service mentality, which, you know, I've, I'm, you could find 100 people who would tell me I'm wrong. But the majority of people really seem to have a positive image of our company from all angles, from our salespeople to our sales support with people like me, which is one of the strongest. I mean, we have a, a master of whiskey. We have craft spirit specialists. We have mixologists. We have wine specialists. I mean, we we take care of the on-premise more completely than I think any of our, any of our competition does. And I think that that's reflected in the fact that we do so much with uh, on-premise. I was going to stop you. uh, You also, you have in, in in a house, uh, uh, I call a classroom for all this design special classroom for, teaching uh, your salespeople and also uh, uh, restaurant uh, I call, uh, uh, employees if they want to learn uh, more about uh, wines and spirits in, inside the house, in, in, in your company, inside. Absolutely. When, when we moved to our new headquarters in Basking Ridge, mm-hmm. uh, the owner of the company, Richard Leventhal, saw, saw, uh, decided that it was important, and it is, to, that we'd have a classroom 
for wine education. And it's state-of-the-art with uh, individual sinks and lighting and uh, comfortable chairs and temperature control and great lighting. So it's an excellent place to run a wine class um, and really to learn about wine. And in addition to that, we also have built a complete bar room with, uh, with three sets of different back bar options. So one of the things that we do is if a restaurant is going to open, we, we can bring in their entire bar staff and have the mix, have our mixologist take the uh, bartenders through the individual drinks, both in, in terms of creating the recipes and then teaching them the amounts and the presentation. And then we can do the same thing on the wine side. So we can, we can simulate the conditions of a restaurant or a bar in our own facility and bring your employees in and put them behind the bar with a mixologist or put them out at a table with a server and go through the whole process uh, in, uh, in our building, which is, uh, which is great. Wow, that's huge. That's huge. Uh, that, see, that, that, that's so important. Uh, I mean, your company is amazing. And I'm very, very proud. And I also deal with your company. Yeah. Uh, so, Jerry, personal question. Where do you see yourself in uh, 10, 15 years? Uh, well, at my age, 15 years, I'm hoping to be retired. Um, what do I have left to do at Fedway is... Um, I am training the next evolution of the people who will take my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm bringing on some, some new talent, some youth, as some of, uh, some of us get a little older and start to think about retirement. Uh, the turnover in my department is just, just starting, and uh, I'm training them to do the things that, uh, that I think are important, which is, number one, we're sales support. So the salespeople are everything to us. The more interaction we have with our salespeople, the more wine they sell, the more wine we sell, the more the company moves forward. Um, so my goal in the next 10 years is to um, create a position where I can work with individual salespeople on how to build their selling skills in restaurants particularly, but how to look at selling in general in the marketplace uh, not a best practices. This is a much more friendly style that I have, which is just going through and looking for the opportunities, creating the plan, and then executing on that plan in, within a week. Um, and the salespeople have a lot to do, and the goal is always to try to figure out how to help them to do their job more efficiently so that they can do more things that they like, um, which is selling, if it's selling wine or selling spirits, uh, and that's, that's what I want them to do. Oh, the last bit is in the next trend. We can't, uh, the 800 pound gorilla in the room is marijuana. <laughs> you know, what is the role of cannabis going to be in the marketplace? Yes. Um, because the question is, and I was having this discussion with a friend, friend, the restaurateur the other day, mm-hmm. you know, that as soon as it becomes legal, probably half of your clients will be high at any one time they're sitting in your meal at their meal. So the question is, how is that going to change Uh what we do? I mean, it could negatively impact alcohol sales because we don't want people to be drunk and high. 
And right. while I know that there's a legal amount and this and that, we know that it's still going to happen. So my hope is as cannabis becomes legal, if it does, that autonomous cars take a giant leap. So none of us will have to worry about drinking and driving anymore. I, I think it will be, uh, everything will be the same. I don't think this is going to be a big change, maybe in the beginning, but everything will uh, uh, settle down to, to basics. You know, I think it's going to be the, nothing's going to change. Maybe, like I say, in a couple of months in the beginning, uh, everything will be fine. I don't think so. You guys have to work for anything. Well, you know, it's interesting though, because I'm, uh, I have this feeling that, that people, um, trust, I don't know how to word this properly, but people trust drugs, right? So we know that there's a certain popular part of the population that uses alcohol as a relaxant at yeah. night, as well as a combination of enjoyment. If marijuana became legal, I wonder what the percentage of people are that would opt into having a piece of chocolate after dinner to mellow them out instead of having a drink. And I, and I think it's the 50 to 60 year olds that are probably most likely to take a, take that chance. Hey, listen, it is where it is.